Welcome to Wild Hearts Club, a podcast encouraging vulnerability, conscious communication and aligned action. Several years back, my dad had passed away, so I think that transition is what what triggered a lot of dormant things for me, so that when it came time to then now have this baby, um, it wasn't as traumatic to have these really deep emotions come up. I'm Nikki J, and thanks for listening. That was Karina Antonopoulos. She's a life coach and the founder of Synchronize Within, a business that's devoted to empowering individuals who possess the personality traits of high sensitivity and high sensation seeking. And really quickly, I'd want to touch on both of those. So thanks to the work of Dr. Elaine Aaron, who's a clinical and research psychologist, we now know that the trait of high sensitivity exists within 20% of the human population. And it's not characterized by empathic qualities, as so many people have come to believe, but rather it is a more sensitive central nervous system that is prone to processing, not prone to, but does process physical, emotional and social stimuli much more deeply and for longer periods of time, leading to having a greater awareness of subtleties in the environment Um It also can lead to overstimulation and as a result, burnout. And I discovered a couple of years ago that I actually carry the traits of high sensitivity and high sensation seeking, um, which is basically a combo of opposites. And that's how I came to meet Karina, because I was really seeking connection with somebody who understood what it felt like to have these two opposing forces existing within you and... I just felt so different and so misunderstood by my the people around me at the time. So it was really, really valuable to forge a connection with Karina. And while I absolutely need to get Karina back on the show to talk about high sensitivity in more detail, her journey, her experience and what she's come to learn about it, this conversation with her actually focuses more on her recent journey through being a new mum. So... I met with Karina a couple of months back. I visited her in her town of New Paltz in New York State. We went to her local park, sat under a pagoda in the rain and had an amazing conversation about her pregnancy, her, the feelings that come up during this time in her life, what she's been discovering through her community of new mums as well. I love this conversation so much because much of what we talk about and the feelings that come up at this time for women as they're becoming a mother for the first time or the second time or a third time, so much of the conversation around that is just considered taboo. And as women, I think we like to, we feel pressured in a way to pretend that everything is okay and the, you know, we're super mum, you know, and we shouldn't be complaining about anything. But Karina just has some really wise and intuitive insights to share with us. So this one is for all you mamas out there and for all of you who want to become mamas one day. I hope you find value in this conversation and I'm really happy to share it with you. Karina, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for coming to my space and 
I'm so glad that you're, we're here in New Paltz. I, you're in my home and uh, for you to travel so we can have this conversation. So special. Yeah, so great. Um, let's begin with you sharing a little bit about your personal history and who you are and how you grew up. Yeah, so uh, Nikki, you know this about me. I'm a highly sensitive person and a high sensation seeker. And so a lot of my journey has been to towards discovering that and what that means. Um, because a lot of my life I felt different. Um, I was very good at chameleon, chameleoning and adapting to my environment, but to really be my true authentic self, uh, that really required me to really understand myself as a highly sensitive person and to be okay with that, right? To know I'm sensitive and know that it's okay. So if you do want to learn more about what it really means to be a highly sensitive person, I definitely recommend the documentary Sensitive, The Untold Story. Um, It's going to tell you exactly what that means, Um, but there is another component, uh, which is the high sensation seeker, which it does not talk about in the documentary too much. And I know both of us are high sensation seekers, and really that just means that we have a higher threshold for risk and excitement and doing all the things of life like travel and skydiving and you know fill in the blank so uh, the thing is for highly sensitive people who are also high high sensation seekers we have a limit and if we don't know what that limit is then we're going to keep bumping our head up against being burnt out Mm. so that's something to be mindful of and I've crashed there was a point where I crashed on my journey and I, I was on borderline adrenal fatigue and my skin had broken out really bad but I found the right people to help me get back on track and to help my body find its way back home Mm -hmm. and I remember as all of this burnout was happening I remember I was probably 27 ish I was thinking to myself wow I really want to be a mom one day but if I can barely take care of myself and I I feel like I'm falling apart how am I going to have a baby and how am I going to take care of another human being I just don't even know how that's possible and I literally had said that to myself several years back and so the next you know three four five years has been about not only getting my mind and my emotions in place with understanding being ready for motherhood but also to get my body ready to have a baby so that I did not feel depleted and so that I can give my baby everything it needed to thrive and have an entire full life. Because we're going to have a conversation about your journey through motherhood and some of the discoveries that have unfolded for you, um, preparing yourself for that journey, what is one of the most profound kind of breakthroughs that you have had that has helped to maybe shift your perspective and and open yourself up to embark on that journey into motherhood? Mm. I mean, aside from the physical kick in the butt, that was I, that started it. Um, like, and there is a nutritionist that I worked with that muscle tested to really listen to my body in a way that I couldn't. Um, she really helped me get things on track that way. Um, but we, but I also had to learn how to track my cycle and to listen to when I was ovulating or if I was ovulating, and know that like you know when I'm ready for it. You know, because me and my husband we definitely planned. Like we were ready. You know, we were mentally prepared. We had. We knew we were planning this baby. We were intentional about it. And I know not everyone has the opportunity, but I also know that some people plan a lot as well, but the baby doesn't come right away, and that's really heartbreaking. Um, it's very common these days for women to try for years before they have a child, and, you know, we need medical intervention. So 
something that I really wanted to do was learn how to track my system. Um, I started taking my temperature every morning and using these apps, Kindara and Natural Cycles, and it helped me learn my body in a way that I didn't know that I could understand it and listen to it in such a, in, in such a deeper way. In relation to that, what do you think are some misconceptions women have about um, conceiving and, and pregnancy that you have discovered in your own journey to be true for you? Mm. Well, some misconceptions for sure is that, you know, especially if you're on birth control for many years, that you're going to get off of it and get pregnant right away. And I think a lot of women are seeing the challenge in that. Um, I know for me, I was on birth control for a couple of years. I was on the pill, but that was years ago. And even since then, I really do think the pill kind of messed me up a bit, my digestive system, and it helped helped me. It, it, I think I just had more, a lot more food sensitivities because of the way that my my whole system changed. But you know, I was able to recover from that. You know, and I gave myself many years, like seven years, before I even started. Like said, I okay, I'm ready to have a child. So. For someone who's just getting off of it and thinking, oh, it's going to come in a few, few weeks, few months, you know, it's a few months, yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but I think the other thing, another misconception is not really understanding the mental health component involved where, you know, your identity is changing. Um, you're you're going to be a different person. Your role in life is going to be different. You're going to be taking care of another human being. You're going to have to communicate with the people around you to make sure this human being stays alive. So there is a lot of postpartum and even, you know, before you're pregnant, while you're pregnant, anxiety, depression. Um, with the depression, there's a lot that comes with that, that I really looked into it deeper around why I think that develops for a lot of women. And I do think we don't really let ourselves prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally and spiritually for this human life to come into our life. So a lot of women who are depressed they're grieving their old life. They're grieving the life that they used to have and the time and the freedom that they had. And even though they love their human being that they created so much, there's still that that feeling of grief that I don't have that anymore and I don't know if I'm ever going to get it back, right? And they, they probably don't have the same body that they had. And just to be in the world differently now with this human being that's completely dependent on them feels like a lot of pressure, you know, so mom guilt which then also comes with like a lot of some anger comes with that mm -hmm. and resentment right and it's all very deep because you don't want to show it to anyone so that's the part of the misconception is like there's so many like really deep shadow emotions that people hide because they're scared they're scared for other people to see them because they might be judged because they're judging themselves Let's talk about that a little bit. I think it's really interesting that um, motherhood and pregnancy can act as a trigger for a lot of these dormant emotions that women are carrying. Um, how did that present for you if it did? And what stage in your journey did you become aware of that? And what are you seeing with the, the mothers in your community that you're relating to and how they're dealing with that process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... For me, my journey actually several years back from when we're now having this conversation, my dad had passed away. So I think that transition is what, what triggered a lot of dormant things for me so that when it came time to then now have this baby, um, it wasn't as traumatic to have these really deep emotions come up. So 
when my dad passed away, you know, it really, it was sudden and it kind of shook up our whole family. Um, and it put me in a really dark place, but it did help me understand emotions in a deeper way so that I'm not scared of them anymore. I'm not scared of my shadow. I'm not scared of, you know, that darker part of me and I don't try to hide it anymore. I don't try to hide my emotions. Um, and so for me, I guess I had, I had the test earlier than most people had because I had this other really hard thing happen in my life. Um, but for a lot of women, it's like that hard thing is pregnancy and is childbirth and taking care of the baby. So they're, they're going to come up, right? Because of this transition, when we are in transition, stuff comes up. And, you know, even during that time, I remember being in one of my darkest places. You know, I am a life coach. I am a very optimistic, positive person. And here I am. So in this darkness, I was still had these glimpses of like all right, Karina, like, if your identity's dying right now and you're in this dark place and you're at your bottom, like, who do you want to be in your next chapter? And I remember asking myself that, and I'm like, okay, well, I know I want to be a mother, but how can I use, what what word, what mother word can I use that feels resonant to me so it's not just, like, mother that, like, everyone else is talking about, right? Because I don't want to just entrain to what I think my my mother was or my friend or whatever. So a friend had shared with me the word matriarch. To me, a matriarch is a woman who is a leader in her family and her community. And so it just resonated with that so much. And like, you know, not necessarily that I need, I need to be the provider for my family, but like I'm a, definitely a leader in my family. Mm-hmm. And with the work that I'm doing with highly sensitive people, that is my form of leadership in my community, whether it's my local community or the online international community having that and taking that part of me with me into motherhood has helped me kind of stay grounded in my own identity and not being lost because that's another piece I feel like a lot of women transition to motherhood and they really feel like their identity is lost but I would consider to just ask yourself what part of my old life makes sense to continue into my new life because it is a new life it is a new chapter It, it might even be a new book Right. So let yourself let that end, but just ask yourself, what can I take from what was into what will be and what is now? And know that you can bring parts of your old life into your current life. And I I even see it as like past lives, right? Like we don't need to actually die anymore to live a new life. I don't know about you, Nikki, but I feel like I've lived several lives in this one lifetime. So, (laughs) yeah. So this is just another death and rebirth. And I, it's also funny because I know you said you're Scorpio rising as a Mai, so that makes sense that we would agree that yes, we have many lives in one life because we're constantly <laughs> being everything shedding and then coming coming back to ourself in a new way. So that's that's a big part of motherhood that I thought about for many years, and you know, I've, I thankfully have a lot of women in my life that I was able to learn from and observe but I know not not everyone has that not everyone has other women that are they're so close with that can share some of their you know deepest darkest moments of you know before motherhood during during pregnancy and then post afterwards in line with with this sort of theme something that's sort of just popped into my mind is this idea of like conscious parenting and showing up as a mother in a really conscious and present way And I think definitely from my own life experience and from 
from observing and witnessing the world around me, we have a lot of people who show up as parents as a role of what they learnt a father or mother should be and they play out the same kind of patterning and this sort of thing. Um, what is your take on this idea of like conscious parenting and, and how are you um, intending to, to show up for your son and future children in that way so that you're not playing out what it is to be mm. a mother in society's eyes, for example? Yeah, staying away from who I should be, right? And thinking that there is one way to be a mother. Yes. One way to feed your child, one way to send them to daycare or, you know, you should be working or you should not be working, you should sleep with them, you should not sleep with them. Like, there is no such thing as the right way. And I think women need to know that what's important is to trust your intuition and you know mother's intuition is is real it's something and I we need permission to do that I feel like a lot of women have kind of stepped away from that they've lost connection with their intuition and I just want each anyone who's listening to just reconnect with that permission to just ask yourself can you know to trust your intuition and you know you can gather information you can say okay these are the options right this person does that that person does this this book said that my doctor said that but at the end of the day then you digest it all and you say now what feels right for me and then you do it and you don't need to explain yourself to people you know especially if you have a mother-in-law or even your own mother who is telling you otherwise it's okay people are going to go against what you're going to do because they did it differently but for you to be able to be a parent, a mother, in the way that it works for you, that's, I think that giving myself permission, I think that's what's helped me stay sane during this very crazy time where you know, I don't get too much sleep or a very consistent sleep. Um, and you know my body is for my son because I breastfeed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a big, big piece right there. Trusting your mother's intuition. That's hard too because um, society likes to tell us and the media likes to tell us how we should show up as not only mothers but women in general. So what are some ways that women can begin to connect to their intuition, particularly for those women who feel quite separated from it mm. or they feel as though they're, they're deep in trying to live out their life for others? Mm-hmm how can we encourage those people to like connect back into their their own knowingness that is innate to them I would say one of the tools I've taught over the years and that I use consistently is that when I'm feeling really flustered or disconnected is to ask what I call an expansive question so an expansive question is pretty much like an open-ended question Um, but you know it's not like what's wrong with me not like that or what's the right thing to do, but rather, well, you sure, maybe in some context, you can ask what's the right thing to do for me in this moment, but I would say an expansive question is, um, you know, even looking at your child, and if they're crying, you just look at them in the eye, and you say, what do you need right now? And they're not going to be able to physically talk to you, but all of a sudden, you might get an idea. Oh, Maybe they are hungry, or oh, maybe they need a nap, or oh my god, maybe they're teething, right? It's like when you're so, we're so stuck on, like, the, the, you know, helping console them, or, you know, you feel 
riddled with guilt that you know your child is not happy or anger or frustration that like oh you know my partner is not doing enough um they're not giving me enough time just taking a moment to just stop and ask an expensive question i feel like to ask a question it brings you back to presence and your intuition only exists in the present so know that when you ask a question i know at least for me things start to quiet down and then all of a sudden like an answer pops up kind of like a buoy rising to the surface of a lake so you know and it might not come right away for me it does seem to come within the minute but it's just because i practice it a lot um so the thing is when you ask a question especially like that it will come to you it will come just trust and know that it'll come and then as you start to listen to it more and follow through on that voice then it'll get louder and louder and what i like to say is the best way to trust your intuition is to experiment with it you know is to, is to maybe experiment with not trusting it do is, your intuition might tell you something and then you do the opposite see what happens right or you it does tell you to do something and you do it and then you see what happens right you know you that it's a very personal experience each person has to have their own relationship with it i find um that journey with your intuition to be so interesting too because for me i've realized that that there's a very fine line between that intuitive sort of pop of knowingness and if you if you leave it too long you start to intellectualize and your ego gets in there and and starts to question it and debate it and you can slip into like a fear-based kind of response but for me I actually get goosebumps mm -hmm. so like my body physically responds when I know I'm onto an intuitive hit do you have any kind of like physical experiences that mm. um, assure you that you're onto the right track yeah so goosebumps does come sometimes but it's not always so that's a good one but for me because I'm very empathic and I am in touch with my body and my emotions um, when something is is right for me my intuition speaks as if that's the lighter option so if it's something is heavier, that means it's not for my highest good. So if I have a couple options on the table and I say, you know, okay, you know, does this feel, which one feels the lightest? The lightest one will pop up, right, in my, in my mind. And it'll show me. But if it feels heavy, then I know that that's not right. So for me, I'm very much in tune with what feels light and what feels heavy. You know, I even do this with, like, choosing food at the supermarket. Um, I do this with, like, you know, what's wrong with my son? And I think about, like, the five things it could be, and then the light one pops up in my mind. Yeah, so it's like that. And then I'm like, okay, now I zero in on that, the teething thing, right? Okay, I have three things that usually work. Which is the thing he needs right now, right? And then the light thing will pop up again. Try this. Give it to him, and then, you know, within a few minutes, he's calm again. So listening to that instead of feeling so bad that, like, oh, my God, my child is just so upset and like I don't know what to do and I'm a bad mom and like you know or like being judged for coddling your kid it's like no you're just listening to your kid listening to yourself that's really all it is is just listening mm -hmm. taking a moment to stop and listen so particularly in your work as a life coach and now that you have a six-month-year-old son and, and you're engaging with a community of mums as well, um, what are some sort of themes and things that are coming up today in this present day that you're noticing with, with motherhood? Yeah, so I was just talking about this with a friend, how 
you know, whether you are in a same-sex marriage or you're not, um, there's always one partner that is doing most of the work. And for whatever reason, like, that one person is most connected to the child. And you always need that one person, right? The child always needs that point of that point to come back to because they're always, always listening. Um, but that person who's always, you know, with that child, they don't... I've seen a pattern where they just need a few minutes occasionally here and there to have their own space to feel like a human again, right? I don't need to sleep in every, every once a week even. I just need once in a while to let my husband say, babe, you can sleep in in the morning. I got Frankie, you know? So it's like, oh, like, thank you, you know? Or like now my husband and I have a joint calendar. So if I put something on the calendar when he's off, he knows that I need this time for me. Um, and setting up systems like that with your partner. Um, but that has been the theme that the partner thinks, oh, they got it all taken care of, or like they don't realize like how much time and energy and work goes into constantly listening to this other person who can't communicate what they need, constantly thinking about like what they're eating and when they're sleeping next and, you know, are they uncomfortable or how can I, you know, help socialize them? You know, there's a million things you're always thinking of. So, you know, it's true that one person will always take that a little bit more on, but just if you're a partner of that person, to let that other person, like, have the space a little bit more than they are. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even for me, I'm, I'm glad to be a mom. I love it. But I, too, need to be, a, like, a sane human being for my, for my child. So just having those moments where I can just be me for a moment, that's what helps me be my best self and for my son and for my family. How do you... Um how do you stay grounded through the ever-changing experience of motherhood? What what do you do for yourself? What are your little rituals so that you are taking care of yourself even though you, you're looking after this little person that needs you constantly? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I was reading an article, and it kind of this article came out in different ways with different people who wrote it, but basically that as a mother... You know, we talk about mothers need more self-care, right? And I, even now I just said, oh, I just need more, a little bit more time for me. But really what we really need is community. We really need more community. We need more people who we can call on and just say, hey, like, can I please just come over to talk? Or can we go for a walk so that I can talk? You know, and I have several women in my community right now. And that's what I love about where I live is there's a lot of women who are also having babies. And... I've met them at mother's groups, and so I, I try to go to a mother's group every, at least every other week um, to just connect because I am an extrovert and I process out loud, and I like to hear other people's experiences because it helps. That's how I learn. I learn from other people's experiences. Um, but just having, like, other people to talk to is one thing, but there are a select few of the bunch who I'm really close with, and I recently just made an agreement with them that hey, if you need a mental health day or if you and your husband want to go on a date, like, bring your kid over. You know what I mean? Like, and we exchange that. And I'm so grateful that I have other women who would say, who are in the same boat, right? Because we don't want to burden anyone else with our child. You know what I mean? But we all need it. We all need someone to just be like, hey, if you ever need to just drop your kid off, bring him over. Mm. You know, like, I'm down for a spontaneous play date whenever. Um, and to have that, 
you know, to me, that's what it means that it takes a village to raise a child. You know, that's what it means. It's not like coming to mommy circles and being like, oh, yeah, everything's perfect, everything's great. It's like, no, like, sometimes we, we, we need that time, right, even to reconnect with our partner. Um, and some, some women don't have money to pay for a babysitter. You know what I mean? Like, you're, we're already strapped financially. So my suggestion or even something that I'm experimenting with is just finding that one or two other friends who are in the same boat as you that be willing to do that exchange where you have that agreement that if you just need that evening or that, you know, few hours um, where you can give that exchange, I just think that is one of the most valuable things as women we can help each other with. I love that perspective and raising this um, concept around community because, yes, self-care is an important part of every individual's journey and experience, but um, I think anything taken to any extreme can be a little uh, toxic or unhealthy um, and self-care can come from community it doesn't necessarily Mm. mean having to like isolate yourself or you know dumping baby with a husband so that you can get away for a while if that's what you need that's awesome but Mm. to share in that experience with other people who are going through it too must be such a connecting validating kind of force that yeah, it would keep you so grounded. I, I mean, I get the impression too that in this region where we are in New Paltz, it's probably um, uh, attracts a, a certain type of person. So I'm not really sure um, how common it, in it, common it is in your mother's groups for people to attend and present as though everything's great and my baby is so advanced and developed and we're doing this and we're doing that. Um, is that something you've experienced or what, what would you have to say around that for the mothers that are maybe feeling a little bit self-conscious about their journey and feeling the pressure to appear as though they've got it all mm. together? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting you ask that because um, I actually, where I'm from, which is Long Island, uh, my family's there. There's a potential that we might need to live there part-time. And I'm curious to see what would happen there and mother's groups there. I'm not sure because the culture there on Long Island is very different. Um, And actually, I really think it has to do with whoever's the facilitator, whoever was the person who said, I'm going to start the group. It's kind of like whatever their rules are, they when they create the space, I think that's how the women rise up in the space. So if there's someone who's very conscious and understanding of, the experience of women and like letting people share vulnerably and openly and being honest I think that really depends on how people will show up in the group so I know we were speaking earlier that pregnancy especially well I guess any pregnancy I haven't had children yet hopefully one day but um, it must be the greatest surrender experiment and I know we were talking earlier that um, you had envisioned your pregnancy to go a particular way and it ended up going down another avenue. Would you mind expanding on that experience? It's funny how much we put childbirth, the actual childbirth, on a pedestal, right? 
how we want it to be like this perfect thing that goes, you know, everything is going to go this way and this is my birth plan. And, you know, I feel like when you're pregnant, all you can think about is the day you're going to deliver. And yet it is, you know, obviously if you're in labor for a long time, that's one thing, but the actual baby being born, um, it, it's it's a second, right? It happens in a second. And I feel like we plan for this one second occurrence, but we do not help our women plan for what's going to come after that. And so I do know with me and my husband, we were planning a home birth originally and we were like, sure, why not? You know, we, we can do this. Why, you know, I was going to have a natural trial birth anyway. And sure, we live, you know, we lived like 25, 30 minutes from the hospital. So, you know, my husband is very science minded. So he was very challenged with that idea, but he also wanted me to have the birth experience I wanted to have. So he put his fears aside and supported me. So my problem was that, you know, week past due, my son was, he did, he wasn't ready to come yet. Or like he, labor hadn't started. I was like, wait a minute, here I am waiting for this whole labor thing to like, get. I'm like, how do you get this thing started? Right? <laughs> so that was a little scary was not knowing, you know, you think that like your body's broken, right? Some people have trouble getting pregnant. They think their body's broken. Some people, when they're pregnant, something goes wrong. They think their body, it's like so many opportunities where you think your body's broken. But honestly, I think the best thing I could have given myself at the time was just presence and to just like trust it at each day as it unfurled, because you don't know what decisions you're going to have to make in, in the moment. Um, Within a day, we had to decide if we were going to induce because my baby was getting big. And the longer we waited, the bigger he was going to get. Okay. And, you know, I did tell myself, oh, well, I made the baby. I could deliver the baby. But you have to know, like, and I even said to myself, people have been having births for, you know, eons and that's why we're here. But yeah, but a lot of women have died in childbirth and a lot of babies have died. And if it weren't for modern day medicine, like, that still would be the case. So, you, until you have a child, you don't know how your body's going to be. And so, you know, for whatever reason, my son, he was head down, but he wasn't in the perfect position for labor to start. So the weight wasn't bearing down enough. So we induced. So then I was in labor for two days and on, you know, on and off. And, and I had only progressed to six centimeters and you want to be 10 centimeters to deliver, right, to push. And I only, in two days, I only got to six. And I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous, right? So um, after being induced, after the two days, I was like, you know what? I put my time in and I gave my kid his eviction notice. And I said, you know what? I C-section, just do it. You know, I had to make that decision and it felt right. Like what, there was one decision to do more meds, uh, Pitocin, which is going to help crank up the contractions. But my research told me that it was just going to put a lot of stress on my baby. And he had been doing great for the, that whole time. So I really didn't want any complications. So I figured, you know what, make the decision now. Um, I think I get, did my part. I, did, I tried. And thankfully, we have modern day medicine to come in and do what it needs to do when, you know, things are just not going the way you had planned, mm -hmm. right? That when, when you're in that moment, your plans don't become plans. Like, it's more about just listening to what is that lighter option? What is the decision that you need to make, even if it's a hard one? And, like, letting go of your expectations. That was very important for me and my family. And I think 
I did have a midwife. I know not everyone has the opportunity to hire a midwife, um, but having a midwife OB team, um, I found in my research that, that that's just the best outcome for everyone because midwives tend to empower the women to make decisions and not all OBs do that. They're more of like, I'm the doctor, I know what's right for you. So thankfully my OB and, and the OB I had and my midwife let me make that decision and I felt empowered, like even though then I had to go into surgery and I couldn't do the things after, right after like the skin to skin right away, like I just had to wait some time. It, everything worked out because then my husband got to do skin to skin, right? Because that was nice for him to have that connection with him. Um, and then, you know, I, I was able to start breastfeeding right away. And thankfully, my son was just very, he had his instincts, like he knew exactly what he was doing. It was just like amazing. I'm just so proud of him. So that was a relief because I remember thinking like, oh, my God, I'm in this labor, which is like a marathon. And the real marathon hasn't even started yet. So I, once I clicked for me that like, oh my God, the real marathon hasn't even started yet. He's not even here yet. I was like, just get him out safely so then we can start, like, and see him. I can meet him and just be in his, in the joy of his amazing self. How has motherhood transformed you? <sighs> Goodness. I mean, I think it's still happening so I'm in the middle of it I'm only six months postpartum so I think I'm gonna have to just continue to be in it in order to and then be able to look back and be like wow I really like that has really shifted for me I don't know if I I have I've been able to like step back enough to see that yet um, I just know like the basics of the day and the day the day to day of just being really present you know I I think I, one transformation though is like when I'm making decisions, I'm thinking about the long term of our family and my and my son. I'm not just thinking about you know what's right for me, but I'm thinking about what's the highest good for everyone involved. Which you know I guess maybe the selfishness of the of my twenties kind of dissipated a little bit, but not in the sense where I'm completely sacrificing myself in the say in the way that like I'm sacrificing, but it, it's like it feels good to do it. You know what I mean? Like I want to do what's best for my family rather than what's, you know, best for me. But usually what's best for me is what's best for everyone. So <laughs> what has surprised you most about um, your pregnancy journey or childbirth or having a newborn son? What's been the most surprising element to that that you definitely didn't expect? That's a good question. Particularly given that this is your first. Mm. Well, I knew that I was going to love my child no matter what. Um, and it is kind of cool seeing a little person who kind of looks like you a little bit. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it's, what's interesting is, remember earlier I said that I had no idea how I was going to take care of another human being? Honestly, what surprised me the most is how when the occasion is here you rise to the occasion it just happens you like you just know you just figure it out and you just do it right so like even there could be anxiety about like oh my god I want to have more children what's going to happen when I have a second kid I'm not going to be able to do that my my first kid takes up all my time and energy how am I going to split my energy between two and honestly I, I've already told myself you're going to figure it out in the moment because things are going to change 
my son is going to be different. He's going to be older. I'm going to be different in the sense that I'm going to already know what to do because I've done it before. So yeah, just letting yourself be in it and not overthinking it too much. Um, and just using the tools I shared earlier around being present, asking questions, listening to your intuition and having your community. And I feel like it all just finds a way to work out. It sounds a little bit like we, um, we're more resilient than we give ourselves credit for as well. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. And even thinking about my mom and like she was the breadwinner and she was the main caregiver emotionally, mentally, spiritually for me and my sisters. It was like, you know, my dad was around and he did his thing, but not to me and not at the extent that my mom did. And I'm like, wow, like, how did she do that? And like, she's, she's like, I just did it, you know, and it's just resiliency for sure. Has this experience, um, I know you've just said that you're sort of in it at the moment, so you may not have had the, the time to like reflect and see those um, shifts, but have you noticed that you are more connected to your mother in, in a way because she mm. has gone through this in raising you and prior to having a kid we don't know what that's like mm. and then after having a child I imagine there might be um, an opportunity to think back to when your mum was actually nursing you as a little person and you're like oh wow mm. well I would say that you know it's kind of cliche but like you don't realize how much you could love another human being like of course I love my husband we've been together 12 years but it's just a little different when you've created something and it's like this unconditional love that like no matter what my son does like I'm gonna love him no matter what and I know that I I have felt that for my mom um but just but I but like you know what I mean and even if we've gotten in arguments over the years and like even if I got older and we kind of drifted apart because I had to become my own person, um, it's like there is always that unconditional love. So now I, I do understand that on the other side of it, where like no matter what, I'm going to hold that space for my son of I love you no matter what you do or no matter what happens. Something else I think is really important uh, to touch on is this idea, this experience of postpartum depression. Um, I think it's getting a lot more airtime these days, but nonetheless, I think that it, it can be a little taboo and isolating for women. What has your experience been um, either with postpartum or within your community of, of mothers who are, are experiencing that? What does that look like and how are they navigating that? I do remember earlier we talked a bit about grief and, you know, grieving the life that you know, what we once had and feeling really sad about that, not having it again. I know even for me, there are certain goals that I have, even in my business, that I feel like are going to be put on hold. And I, I've talked to my husband about that, how for women, you know, if we want to have kids, there is a chunk of our, our life where I'm not saying I'm going to give up my goals or whatever, but I'm not going to be able to pursue them at the extent that I was before. So I've we've agreed that just an acknowledgement of that and I think that was important even for my husband to acknowledge that for us that like thank you for kind of sacrificing that you know what I mean this period of your time so that we could have these children and expand in our family um so even kind of like putting things a little bit on a back burner there could be some grief in that um you know goals not yet achieved we grieve so much like grief it's like it's funny because that to me that word used to just be a word in dictionary but now understanding the word grief a little bit more 
I, it's not just when someone dies. Um, it's not just like when, you know, we lose something or someone it's, it's goals and ways of being that, you know, aren't here yet and hasn't have, and you believe that it might never happen, right? That's, you're grieving that, um, you know, maybe you're grieving your, if your child was born early and it's, you know, a little bit slower on the development in certain ways compared to the other kids in the mommy's group, right? There could be some grief there that it didn't go the way it expected or grieving any decisions you made maybe leading up to why you think the baby was born early, right? Or, you know, it's like there's so much, so much grief that could come up. But I think the important thing, especially with grief, or even if it's anger or fear, because fear and anxiety is real as well, um, is a concept that I, I talk a lot about with my clients. It's called leaning in. Leaning into what feels heavy, right? So before we talked about our intuition, what feels light and heavy, but this is a little bit different where you're scanning your body and you're scanning your body for anything that feels heavy and then you put your hand in that spot. So I know for me, sometimes I'll put my hand on my heart if it feels heavy and I'll, I'll ask my body, you know, what feeling is this? And sometimes a feeling word will pop up, pop up only because I've done this a lot and you know whether it's grief or it's anger and then as soon as that comes up then I say okay I give you permission to come up and like really come up because the thing is if we lean in if we let ourselves feel it then it can pass like a train if we don't let ourselves feel it then it's just waiting at the station and then it's becoming clogged because other trains are trying to come in right other other good positive feelings right but and then it's blocked that's why we feel stuck in life we feel stuck when we're not letting ourselves feel our emotions so learning how to lean in and having a safe space where you can lean in, right? A lot of times it's, it's hard to do that on your own. Sometimes we can do it through journaling. Sometimes we do need like a therapist or a life coach, someone to hold space that really understands emotions in a deeper way and they're not gonna be scared, you know, like, oh my God, this person. It's like, no, emotions, it's just me, energy, and motion, emotion, right? So just let it keep moving, feel it, let it go, feel it, let it pass. Um, you know, but when you're not wanting to feel it or when you're judging it, then it's going to stick around. And that's why we think, oh my God, I'm going to be this way forever, right? When you're in it, you feel like it's going to never be away. But if you just let yourself lean into it and then it's going to pass through you and you'll be like, oh wow, this, um, I feel a little bit lighter now. What I'm hearing with that is because particularly having a child for the first time is such such a different life adventure and that it can potentially trigger some of these um, emotions that have been lying dormant and because when we talk about grief it's the idea that something may have been a certain way and we are acknowledging that and and letting it go to come back into the present um, that childbirth childbirth and and being a mother is actually a really beautiful opportunity to invite the processing of this stuff and that maybe this idea of postpartum or the experience of postpartum is is the clinging to the grief of you as you've been describing it and not processing it and then stepping back into the present is that kind Mm. of yeah what you're talking about in that sense yes and you would think 
oh my god, I just had a baby, I don't want all of these heavy things coming up, but if you've been building it up for so many years because you haven't been let it, given yourself permission to do the work because maybe your profession has taken over, right? And all of a sudden you have a baby and it's like, oh shit, now I can't, now I can't stuff it away anymore. Like these, um, these hormones are just making everything rise to the surface then you have even more of an opportunity then to learn emotional intelligence and to really feel everything deeply. It's really, um, I guess, especially for those mothers who might be in the thick of postpartum, letting them know that it's okay, that they're feeling what they're feeling and to create space and give themselves permission to, f to feel it mm -hmm. yeah. so that they can really transform that that energetic that energy that yeah and that energy will transmute into energy to to do everything that you need to do right a lot of women who kind of push their feelings down then they feel drained all the time and they feel completely exhausted because not only are they trying to stay awake because they're not getting enough sleep but sleep but they're also expending so much energy mentally emotionally keeping and pushing their emotions down that takes so much energy to do instead of just opening up the box in a safe space letting yourself feel a little bit you know if it feels like if it's never going to end it will end it will come to some sort of lightness will come about in summation what would your three takeaways be from your experience with um, obviously as a life coach you've, you've got the tools and the knowledge um, to process a lot of the experiences that you've had but what, what would your three takeaways be in relation to pregnancy, childbirth and motherhood, postpartum um, for those listening that might be new mothers or going on this journey? Yep, three takeaways would be um, your intuition, following your intuition. Second would be to practice leaning in to your emotions, especially the hard ones. And a third would be to actively seek out a community that can you feel really supported and taken care of by. I love that. And finally, which I love to ask all my guests, is what does it mean to you to have a wild heart? To me, having a wild heart means to letting myself experiment and explore where my heart is calling. Right? So if I feel inspired to explore something, to to just to, to lean into it a little bit, right? And if I know my husband and I kind of give each other permission that if we really, if something is really sparking us to like give the other person permission to explore it. Um, and that I think has helped us create an environment where we, we don't feel trapped in the relationship. So, yeah. Amazing, thank you, Karina. And before I finish up with you, um, for those listening who want to connect with you or get in touch with you with your work, where can people connect? Yep. So I think um, two good places. Um, my website is synchronizedwithin.com. Also on Instagram, that's another good point where you can come and connect with me there. I am synchronized within. Um, and then finally, I have my podcast as well, uh, the Highly Sensitive Leadership Podcast. Amazing. Thank you. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I'm so grateful. Yes. Thanks again, Nikki. Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Karina Antonopoulos. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and subscribe or rate and review. Or, of course, share it with a friend who you think might find the contents of today's conversation interesting. The music track at the beginning of this episode is produced by Frankie Pye, a New Zealand-born, Toronto-based creative. 
You can find her music on SoundCloud. I'd also like to shout out my dear friend Gavin Woodhouse, who produced the incredible artwork for this podcast. And you can find him at www.gavinwoodhouse.com. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow along on Instagram at wildheartsclub.podcast. <laughs>